Gary Parrish from CBS Sports. It's now Monday, December 14th, and it's the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined uh, by Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini, and got a lot of stuff to get to after, I was going to say a great weekend of college basketball. It really wasn't a great weekend of college basketball, was it? Did it feel like it was okay? It was okay, right? It was fine. It was, uh, we only had one game between two top 25 teams. That was Xavier Cincinnati. Xavier zipped them up. Um, I guess the story, at least uh, as we sit here on Monday... Uh, according to Twitter, is uh, you know LSU's uh, continuation of a very mediocre to bad season so far. They're four and four. Uh, they're now ranked 100th at Ken Palm, which is 11th in the SEC. They have no quality wins. Uh, losses to Charleston and uh, lost to Houston yesterday. They're projected at Ken Palm right now. LSU is uh, to finish 14 and 17. That obviously. Uh, isn't going to get them anywhere close to the NCAA tournament. It's just an early projection, whatever. Uh, but we do seem, uh, and not we as much as them, seem to be at risk of of missing the NCAA tournament, even though they've got uh, arguably the most talented basketball player in the country in Ben Simmons. Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. Uh, if you were a betting man right now, would you bet Ben Simmons is in the field of 68 and everybody is overreacting, or they got major issues in Baton Rouge? Uh, well, I would say that I don't think that they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, uh, I think that everyone is overreacting that it's like this big, massive deal that he won't be in the NCAA tournament. Right. It's, yeah. Like, that's the other thing. Like, like, yeah, it's, it's, but, it's, it's less than ideal, but whatever. We had Kevin Durant in the NCAA tournament for like, you know, an hour, 45 minutes. Like, you know, yeah. like, NCAA tournament's fine no matter who's in and who's not. Yeah, yeah, like that's not a real big deal to me, but I don't think that they're going to go dancing. I mean, they haven't shown any ability to win on a neutral floor or on the road so far. I mean, they're 0-4 in those circumstances. Uh, If they can't win at Charleston and Houston, uh, imagine what it's going to be like when they go to Vanderbilt, Florida, Kentucky. I mean, those three are definitely on their schedule as far as road games. So uh, those concerns are definitely there. Um, Just as far as the way they're playing, they haven't shown any propensity to defend this year. I mean, they're uh, 129th in Ken Palm by adjusted defensive rating. But if you look at uh, their actual raw defensive rating, like defensive efficiency per 100 possessions, they're like 193rd. Um, This team's been terrible defensively in every regard. And I I mean, LSU under Johnny Jones hasn't been a good defensive team. Like I I haven't, I'm not sure I see any, reasonable way for growth there i guess so I, i'm not sold on this team at all norlander you think that, yeah yeah i guess i you, guess I'm you wrote here. it you wrote about lsu last night what do you make I, of uh, i what did that? okay yeah and this thing is actually i was kind of debating on writing longer on lsu today but i gotta be honest i'm with i don't know more people are talking about it it's not just twitter there have been articles out there as well I'm I'm a little less inspired to do so uh, because it's it's turning into a a thing where I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get Simmons fatigue. But I do have some thoughts. Uh, one, I before I started tweeting this or recording this podcast, I sent out a tweet. Team rankings, which I, I team rankings is a site uh, that I would recommend. I check it out almost as frequently as I do Ken Palm. It has very good statistical analysis of college basketball. It actually probably doesn't get as much pub as it should. It right now basically. If it, if you eliminate the the possibility of LSU winning the auto bid in the SEC tournament, it has LSU at five percent to make the tournament. All right, it, it, the Tigers are probably not going to get there. I did have a 
a very cordial and rational back and forth with Goodman on Twitter on Monday morning. And Goodman's basically saying, you got to fill out the bracket, look at all the teams, look at all the resumes. And I was basically saying, yeah, I get that, but with what we've seen from LSU so far, and I get that they've lost some games that have been close that they, in theory, could have won, but they lost them, okay? And when the committee looks at it, they're going to be losses no matter how close or, or not close that they were. And we have not seen, specifically defensively, nearly enough to suggest that LSU is going to turn this around, okay? I know they're not fully healthy. They just got Hornsby back into the lineup over the weekend, and he had a career high against Houston. He played terrifically against Houston, and they still are going to get Craig Victor back, and that could add up to to something that should lend itself to, to make you believe that, yes, LSU should be able to be a difference maker in the SEC. But my, my big picture on LSU is this. The roster doesn't stink, in my opinion. I mean, listen, there is certainly talent on there. Quarterman is going to get a look in the NBA. Simmons is Simmons. Hornsby is, is really solid. The roster is uh, good enough. The roster, the roster is good enough. In my opinion, if you give this roster to an average high major college basketball coach, LSU cruises to a 21 season, if not, if not more than that. Okay, oh, wow. so what do you a think lot about of this, Johnny Jones there? Yeah, well, listen, Johnny Jones, he deserves a lot of flack for what is happening here. It is kind of amazing when you even look at what happened in the Houston game, and it, a lot of it was up-tempo, and in general, it was kind of it was kind of entertaining. It was a little sloppy, but it was it was very high-scoring. But, you know, Simmons, he did he fouled out, and by the way, his fifth foul was was kind of cheap. I was a little, a little shocked he got that call against him, but he goes for a double-double. Quarterman goes for a double-double. Hornsby goes for 32, and when you watch the game, LSU was never in control of it, and that's kind of the whole issue with, with this team is that it's got a lot of talent, but defensively it's frustrating to watch, and it's kind of amazing that it's even in this position. I just don't have any sort of faith right now that this team is going to be able to suddenly become like a top three team in the SEC. And the other thing is, I think it will probably get a couple of nice wins. And by the way, it should. It's not like it should be getting nice wins with the roster that it has. But what I think is going to happen with LSU is it's going to get into SEC play. The SEC overall, it should be better than it is. Let's let's look at that league and what it is and the amount of teams that have taken on bad losses at this point in the season – what I think LSU is going to do is it's it's going to take more bad losses and it's not going to have enough good wins to overcome that to where I, I don't even think that in the heading into the SEC tournament, I, I think we're going to be ha- looking at LSU is going to have to win it to get the auto bid. I, I really think that's where we are right now. And in general, just one more quick point to wrap this up. I'm, I'm mostly with you guys in that, like, listen, the NCAA tournament will more than survive without Ben Simmons in it. Like, it's not a necessary thing. But it would be cool if he was there. Like, obviously, his inclusion, he has become, and a lot of this is ESPN hype, and uh, we're responsible for it to a certain degree as well because, listen, Ben Simmons is a freaking awesome basketball player, okay? So it would be awesome if you could say, oh, wow, look at that LSU in in an interesting 7-10 game on a Friday night at 7-10. Like, that would be really cool to watch that, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen to ultimately – the NCAA tournament will be totally and completely okay if Simmons isn't there. Sure. Well, that's the thing about, you know, when, uh, you get in these larger conversations about college basketball, you know, whether it was um, in the one-and-done era, which is now, or back when guys could go straight out of high school. So we never get LeBron James, or we never get um, Kobe Bryant, um, and we never get Kevin Garnett. Dwight but, Howard, there's been a ton of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay, like, my point is, it'd be great to have those guys, but... We're going to find stars no matter who they are. Like, it, it, okay, it won't be 
Kobe we'll make Bryant. a star out of R.J. Hunter. That's my point. We'll make a star out of Jimmer Fredette. We'll make a star out of Adam Morrison. So college basketball is one of these. Um, I, I, you know, I hate this, but I think it's probably a niche sport, and 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 the stars are going to develop, you know, regardless of of, you know, whether we have, you know, a, a Kobe Bryant in college or not. We'll just turn the star into to JJ Redick. Um, and, and I think the NCAA tournament is very much the same thing. Ideally, you'd love to have the number one pick in the NBA draft in the NCAA tournament, even if it's only for one night or one afternoon. Um, but, you know, the, the people will still fill out brackets and people will still watch and bet and it'll it'll be fine. I think, you know, I saw the back and forth between uh, you and Goodman this morning. I felt like you guys were arguing two different points, like speaking a different language, like you needed an interpreter. Uh, you know, Goodman's point, best I could tell, was... Hey, you know, give LSU, a, you know, a few quality wins and they're right back in the thick of things. It's very hard to fill out. To, it's very hard to get, you know, a 68 team bracket put together. Average teams get in mm-hmm. the tournament every year, blah, blah, blah. Your point, and I don't want to speak for you, Norlander. Uh, so, like, correct me if I'm wrong, is true. Of course. Like, it, yes, go get um, go get quality wins in the league without taking bad losses. And yes, LSU will be right there. But but they, ain't gonna, they, they don't look like the type of team that's going to be able to do that. Yes, that was exactly... Yes. Exactly. Right. And like nobody, nobody is trying to ban anybody from the NCAA tournament on December fourteenth. Like that would be foolish. Like I remember um, when I was the Memphis beat writer, John Calipari uh, would constantly get asked by mostly television reporters, uh, you know, about some game in December. Right? They were playing Texas in December, and they'd say, "How how big of a game is this?" You know, it's, uh, and he'd say, "It's big if we win." It, uh, whatever it's December, like it's like it's December, and we're in the sport of college basketball. Uh, there is no such thing as a must-win game, and that is largely true uh, for everybody. It's especially true for anybody in a power conference, and it, it, it is true for LSU. If they are to go from here and avoid bad losses and get good wins, they're fine. This this these first eight games won't matter. The problem is that even though yes, they've been short-handed and they'll have a. Um, a, a, a better roster going forward, uh, if only because Hornsby's now involved. They don't look like the type of team that's going to be able to avoid bad losses and and stack good wins. I think they'll get good wins here and there just because Simmons is going to be unbelievable. But what makes you think this is the type of team that's going to avoid bad losses? And if you can't avoid bad losses um, and you can't get too many good wins, well, that's how you end up in the NIT or worse. Yeah. Well, okay, so GP, what about this? I want to ask you this. What about this whole notion where people seem to be having more concern – with the idea that Ben Simmons is, you know, one and done experience is, is being wasted uh, with with where he's gone. And I don't know if that's, you know, if this is t- genuine concern or not, but I, I don't know. Uh, to, to me, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, offshoot topic of this where suddenly we're we're concerned. I don't know if, it, if, yeah, if people I, are saying that it might be more of a of a selfish thing more than really. Well, well I, I would say Simmons. this. I would say this. Um, and you guys know this. You go out and you, 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 you meet these kids when they're kids, you know, on the summer circuit. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet a Ben Simmons when he's 15 years old, 16 years old. You know, sometimes you meet, like, oh, like I, I think I've met O.J. Mayo for the first time when he was 13 years old. Um, and I, I don't want to speak in absolutes, but I will tell you, I rarely, when talking to an elite level talent, hear them talk about, Final Force or Big Monday or any of that stuff. It's all about the league. I, I think sometimes we want 
um, we want a kid to have a great college experience more than a kid actually wants to have a great college experience. I, I listen. Mm-hmm. It, it, also, I mean, Ben Simmons is probably having a great college experience <laughs> right. right now well, in Louisiana. In Louis- right. <laughs> well, like I think, like Ben Simmons wants to wants to go to the NBA Finals. Like he, I don't know that he wants to go to the Final Four. I, listen, I, let me rephrase. Of course, he wants to go to the Final Four, but I don't know that that was a motivating factor for a lot of these kids when they make their college choice. Okay, like Malik Newman. I don't know if Malik Newman's a one and done guy, but like I, I know Malik Newman thinks he is, or at least thought he yeah. was. And under those circumstances, he still picked Mississippi State, where he had to know if he's got even a little bit of a brain that it wasn't going to result in a NCAA tournament berth and certainly not a final four didn't matter to him. He wanted to go to Mississippi state for whatever reason he wanted to go to Mississippi state. You know, I, you know, I think we know that um, Ben Simmons is at LSU, not because he wants to uh, go where Shaquille O'Neal went to school or that he wanted to play in the sec. Like they made a hire to make that happen. And so sometimes what motivates these kids college decision uh, isn't what, you know, we think should motivate them. Why is Henry Ellenson at Marquette? You know, why Why is um, uh, Caleb Swanigan at Purdue? It's really interesting with this freshman class. You mm-hmm. The freshman at, class went everywhere. They went everywhere for, like, weird reasons. Like, uh, Diedrich Lawson, why is he at Memphis? You know, like, uh, you, you still get the guys who went to Kentucky simply because it's Kentucky or the guys who went to Kansas because it's Kansas. But, like, there's so many um, elite-level freshmen possible one and done guys who picked schools where they had to know they weren't going to, you know, or, or at least they weren't likely or, or at least at risk not to not get in the NCAA tournament. And that wasn't a motivating factor for them. They were, they were influenced by something else. And uh, I think quite clearly Ben Simmons fits that criteria. I think you bring up a really good and really interesting point there with all the freshmen that have been in different spots. And I also do believe that a lot of these guys, when they ultimately end up picking their schools, it's about PT. It's about NBA draft prospects. With some, with some, I think it can be the school, but that's only if you're choosing between blue blood to blue blood. And and you know, the prospects of getting to the NBA may be negligible on a certain level there. But uh, but overall, yeah, I think when you specifically when you're talking five star guys going into college. And if you're a five-star guy, GP, I think you did a story on this two years ago or maybe one last year or something. Uh, it's been nearly established that if you're a five-star player, when you leave high school or a top-ten recruit, almost ex- with very, very few exceptions over the past decade, you are going to be drafted or find significant playing time in the NBA within like your first two years. Doesn't mean you'll have success, but it's been established that if you've been identified as a top-ten recruit, then you're gonna get an NBA look, regardless of how. Chris Walker is getting an NBA look right, right. now. Well, that's like it is. It is. I'll give you the stat. I went and looked it up. Basically, going all the way back to uh, as far back as Scout.com's database went, right? And if you are in the final top ten of your high school class, there's basically a ninety percent chance you're going to end up in the NBA. Like, like, doesn't mean you'll be a star. Doesn't mean you'll be a max deal guy. Doesn't mean you'll be an all-star. Doesn't even necessarily mean you'll be a rotation player. But you will be on an NBA roster. Like fans always, not not all fans, but some fans will always say, these you know these kids need to understand nothing's guaranteed. And of course, nothing's guaranteed for anybody. But nine out of ten, nine out of ten of the top ten players in a class end up in the NBA. And um and 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 so they, that's that is the goal for the overwhelming majority of them. Like I, I do think on some level, like Tyus Jones and. 
Jalu Okafor and Justice Winslow wanted to go to school together and try to win a national championship. I, I think they were motivated on some level. I don't want to pretend or 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 imply that uh, college basketball doesn't matter to these kids. But for the majority, I, I feel safe saying this, for the majority of the five-star guys, uh, the top 10 guys, um, their goal is to get to the NBA. They come to college because they feel like that's something they have to do on mm-hmm. their way to the NBA. But I, I don't know that their dreams line up with our dreams or, or what we think their dreams ought to be. I don't know that their dreams are are getting to a Final Four. Their dreams are to get to the NBA and in, in what is often a one-year stop – um, they can be motivated to end up in a certain place for a variety of reasons. Ellenson's an example. Simmons is an example. Swanigan's an example. Um, it, it isn't always trying to find the best place to give you an opportunity to play deep into March or even into April. Uh, sometimes it's simply because somebody made a hire um, or some shoe company, you know, sure. got involved. Like mm-hmm. they're they're not all motivated by the things that we think ought to motivate them. Like clearly, if I I'd like to think if I were 17 and, and projected as a one-and-done guy, I'd say, man, I want to experience the NCAA tournament. I want to have a shot to win a national championship. I want to try to do this thing the same way Carmelo Anthony did this thing. So I'm going to pick a school that, on paper, if they add me, they'll have a real chance to go do the whole thing. Like Diallo going to Kansas. Like he, he, They add him. They, Thomas Bryant, I know it ain't working out. But like Thomas Bryant going to Indiana was sort of rooted in the same thing. And I'm not trying to tell you what Diallo was motivated by or Thomas Bryant was motivated by. But those guys, for whatever reason, they went where they went. They could reasonably say, I could be a missing piece to something special. And but like Malik Newman, he can't say that. Henry Ellenson, he can't say that. Diedrich Lawson, he can't say that. Um, and, and so they're just not motivated by that. All, all kids aren't motivated by that kind of stuff. They're, they're just not, whether we think they ought to be or not. No, I, I agree. That's kind of what I was getting at in general as I set you up with uh, – Oh, Simmons, and Simmons isn't that either. Well, we, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and and ultimately um, Simmons getting drafted, I mean, listen, he's not a lock to be number one, but I would say he's a lock to be a top three pick. Like it would just take an utterly just unforeseeable turn of events. And so it will be a success for him, his college career, when at the end of the day he gets to be picked in the top three and gets a really nice rookie deal, and you know mm-hmm. he'll have taken the steps appropriate to have accomplished that. That's all. Sam, uh, late Saturday night, uh, high-profile game, uh, one of the better games on paper of the weekend, even if it wasn't technically between two ranked schools. Gonzaga hosting UCLA at the kennel. I I've watched Gonzaga enough this year to understand like they've they, they've got issues, uh, particularly yeah. in the backcourt where they're turning the ball over at a at a remarkable rate. But I just assume and, – and Karnowski out. Like we talked about this last week. That's the biggest thing. Of course. I, I just assumed at some point like they're just going to just run off on somebody. They seem to have one of those every year where they just run off. And they, not only do they not do that, uh, they actually lose. So now they're sitting here at 6-3. and three. They've already got two losses at home. Uh, first yep. Arizona, then this past Saturday night to UCLA. The other loss, Texas A&M on a neutral court. They've got a win over Connecticut. But you tell me. You live out there. Are they at risk? Of of being in you know uh, having to win the WCC because listen when you're Wichita and you go into the NBC when you're Gonzaga you go to the WCC um, you, you you get into that league and you can't get the same type of quality wins that are going to be available for right. an LSU like again we can tie this all back together LSU has gotten off to an unfortunate start but there's still enough quality win possibilities on their schedule because they play in a Power Five that they could theoretically get there I don't think they will but they can. With Gonzaga, are they at risk of? You better be careful because you're going to look up on Selection Sunday, and and, and the committee's going to say, 
all right, fine. We know you're Gonzaga. We know you're good. But what have you done? Are they at risk of that? Um, yes and no. Um, it's complicated, I would say. I mean, they have wins over Washington and Connecticut and Washington State. And, you know, Montana might be an NCAA tournament team. Tennessee is going to be a top 100 team. They still have SMU on the schedule. Like, they're not in as bad a shape as LSU by any means, right. uh, even though that LSU will have further chances to pick up quality wins. But in a way, you're right. Uh, I mean, they the margin for error keeps getting smaller and smaller and that's, smaller. That's the way to uh, Yeah, the more that they keep dropping these games early in the season without Karnowski and without consistent guard play. Uh, the Karnowski loss is the key here for me. I mean, especially early in the year, he's probably the one guy that they could ill afford to lose because the way that he plays uh, is both a great passer in the low post and the high post. You can kind of take the pressure off of the guards to create. Uh, if you can throw him the ball either at the elbow or on the block and just kind of let him pass and kind of move and let everyone move around him and he'll find the right play. Um, so without him there, these guards have so much on their shoulders to get the ball to Sabonis, get the ball to Wilcher, try and create something for themselves. There's just a lot there. Um, and right now it's a problem because the guards aren't very good. Uh, the, the guards just are really struggling. I mean, you look at Josh Perkins, he's, uh, turning the ball over at a 29.3 turnover rate. Right. Uh, that's the highest that I've seen outside of Caleb, uh, Joseph last year. I think that's the highest I've seen, uh, in the last three years or so. Um, Eric McClellan's over 20% right now, turnover wise. Kyle Dranginis is almost at 20%. Like you said, the turnovers are a major thing. The shooting efficiency is a major, major, major thing. Uh, Perkins and Dranginis are both under 50% shooting or true shooting percentage. Silas Melson is, is as well. It's just a total inefficiency of both shooting and decision making that, uh, you have to assume that these talented kids will come along eventually because like I said, they're really talented kids. Like Perkins was a top 60 recruit. Nelson was a top, I think 120 recruit going to the West coast. Like during Guinness is a smart player. You think it's going to come around, but you can't just automatically assume that it's going to either at this point. Uh, so the questions are there. Luckily for them, the uh, West Coast Conference is really down this year. Right. Like BYU is a nightmare. Um, you know, St. Mary's is better than what people were expecting, but they're still not exactly uh, a high-end team, I would say. I mean, we saw them push Cal a little bit uh, at Haas Pavilion this weekend, but I, I don't know. I mean, you have to trust an awful lot in Randy Bennett to think that that talent level is going to get there. So I'm not super worried about Gonzaga missing the tournament, but I think that there's a chance. They're, they're turning the ball over basically one out of every five possessions. The other thing, um, the new guards, they're not shooting the ball well, as you pointed out. They're also not getting fouled. Like that, you know, in, in theory, yeah. what they lose in terms of stability with Pangos and Bell gone, they, they should have been not trumped, but like you get, you get more athleticism in the backcourt. More athleticism, in theory, should yep. lead to more – uh, opportunities at the free throw line and they're just not getting fouled so they're not doing anything well they're not shooting well they're not taking care of the ball and they're not getting the free throw line and um it's hard to be good like you can be good in college basketball and i'm oversimplifying things um a variety of ways it is hard to be really good if you don't have good guards um it, it's you you can be good but in terms of being like what we thought most people thought gonzaga would be in the preseason unless those mm -hmm. guards start playing better 
Um, that's just that's just not going to happen. North Carolina took another loss to an unranked team, this time at Texas. Uh, it's weird because I'm not worried about North Carolina. Like, I think North Carolina is really good. But how often um, does a future national champion – uh, have two losses to unranked teams on December fourteenth. Like it, that's not a that's not a common thing, is it, Norlander? I guess not, we can, I guess we yeah. can look it up. <laughs> you could look it up. I, I bet it's not too too common uh, for eventual national champs to have dropped two games to unranked teams. But you know how often do eventual national champs get those uh, losses? And they both come on the road. Um, and obviously, Paige was in there for the Northern Iowa game. Carolina, by the way, also has a completely valid case that it should only have one loss right now because. The uh, Javon Felique's buzzer beater was, I'm telling you, it was as close as any shot I've ever seen. You can definitely make the case that he did not get the shot off in time. Super, whatever, super, the, whatever the close. call, whatever the call was on the court, you're just gonna have to stick with it. You can't. Got to stick with it. Yes, I agree because they called it, and it's one of those like no irrefutable evidence. And then Page gets de- <laughs> he gets decked by Connor Lambert. No foul is called there, and you know if the foul is there. The bucket goes away, and in Carolina wins. But as it is, they lose. I still, I'm, I'm still in general. I'm with Carolina more now than I was at the start of the year. Wouldn't necessarily say it's the best team, but, uh, but certainly can be that. For Texas, just a quick thought on them. This is obviously the biggest win of Shaka Smart's young career with the Longhorns. It was one that I think will eventually just be uh, one that will help Texas. In terms of getting to the tournament, they're going to get there. I think they're they're a good enough team. Not a great team, but a good team this year. And I think that win is going to loom so large for them that uh, by the end of the season, I think that it will, uh, it will greatly help them because they've got, obviously, a very tough schedule in the Big 12. But I think they'll be able to pick off a few there. And they still get UConn at home, uh, which they should still be able to win that one. So a good one for Shaka. That was – and I watched – I was on duty to to write on that game, so I watched all of it uh, from start to finish. And I, you know, Maryland, UNC was better, maybe Maryland, Georgetown, but I'm telling you, there have not been many games that have been better than that Carolina Texas game start to finish. It was it was constantly riveting, man. I mean, they they played the way you would expect them to play, up and down constantly. Both those teams and those coaches love to run, so it was really cool to watch that kind of come to be and for it to come down to to that last play. Um, ton of fun. Good for Shaka to get the win. Texas is still, you know, they're not going to be any sort of threat in terms of threatening in the Big 12 or whatever, but the, that's a huge win. And by the way, the the factoid that kind of got out there that was a little surprising is Rick Barnes. Listen, a lot of fans weren't happy with what he did there, obviously, but Texas has now won seven of the past eight against Carolina, which means Barnes won six of his last seven against UNC, which is kind of shocking overall. But uh, that's one of those random series between two interconference teams. Like, it's good that Texas and Carolina – which are two of the top five jobs, according to coaches in college basketball. We did that survey. Those two schools are the two of the top five jobs. Like, I'm glad that they do that. That's that's really cool. They're not natural rivals, but the sport's better when they play on-campus games every single year uh, between the Heels and the Longhorns. Yeah, I think Carolina's, is, to the extent that it has issues, I mean, it's just, well, first off, they were missing Marcus Page for much of the early season, and beyond that, they've got two losses because they challenged themselves schedule-wise. You know, most teams, most good teams haven't played multiple road true road games yet some haven't yeah. played any how about this duke won't play a true road game till january 2nd yeah i know it's how about this duke, that's what does it every year man because they, they go to new york city that's why duke won't play a currently ranked team on the road until january 25th so like some of this is just uh roy and and listen tip of the hat to him 
um, is willing to schedule his, uh, uh, schedule in a way that challenges his team early for whatever reason. So, you know, the Northern Iowa, that was just to let Marcus Page go back home. Um, but whatever his motivation is, he's at least willing to to schedule in a way that challenges his team with a true road game, multiple two road, true road games early. And if he has to take some losses because of it, then then so be it. I, I don't know. It's a bit of a cliche to say they'll be better for it. I don't know if that's necessarily true, um, but I'm not worried about Carolina. I still think that at the end they'll be there. They'll be they'll be right there at the end. I yeah, I think that they are top five good. I mean, Sam, right now, uh, I mean, Kansas got a scare from Oregon State, which is random. Oregon State was winning against Kansas by 14, and then Kansas totally flipped the switch and dominated them. But sure. Kansas, I, I would say I like Kansas a little better than Carolina right now. I, I can't. Maybe Kentucky um, and Maryland. I, I just, you know, I'm kind of getting more in on Maryland by the week. Um, more than North Carolina. Um, maybe Oklahoma right now. Oklahoma's looked really good. They're really good on both ends of the floor. Uh, Villanova, that win was terrific. I mean, you beat Villanova by 23 points um, on a neutral floor, and that's that's a big feather in your cap. Um, yeah. Outside of that though, I don't know. I mean, I, I would probably take North Carolina over Kentucky right now. Um, yeah. I mean, what about like, they're, they're about like a, I probably Michigan wouldn't, State? I would probably take Michigan state over North Carolina right now. Wow. Um, I don't think I would, but long term, I would take North Carolina, but right now I think Michigan okay. state's been better. Um, I mean, long term, the only team I would take over North Carolina is probably Kansas. Yeah, I mean, I, so, I, I just think even, like, you yeah. could take the losses, do whatever you want to with them. If we were trying to put a top shelf, a top tier of college basketball teams together right now, like if somebody asked you to pick five teams that can win the national championship, uh, Carolina would it'd be on my list. I think it'd be on, on, on most people's list. Let's look ahead a little bit. Yep. Um, weekend should be good. I'm going to Brooklyn for the CBS Sports Classic. But, like, this week sucks. Like, I, I was looking at this guy. <laughs> Tonight, nothing. Tomorrow night, nothing. Wednesday night, nothing. There, it's just finals, right? Finals week? It's, yeah. I mean, you got Monmouth-Georgetown on Tuesday night, which, you know, if Monmouth wins, they'll, you know, they've already been something of a national story because uh, they have had some nice wins, and then their bench is just Love kind of bench. redefining the <laughs> the flair game there. But, yeah, uh, otherwise, you know, it's it's not a huge week. Um, the weekend is better, but yeah, it's just slow because so many teams play finals. So schools intentionally, one, they don't play as many games. They don't try and double up because of the tests, but then they also don't try and normally schedule good They're opponents. Not, yeah. You want to you well, play crappy opponents when you got, well, here, well, I, I think, I think that's part of it. I think the larger part is, um, big time programs aren't going to travel during finals week. Right. Yes. So like you can't get a big time program to come play you. Because they're not going to travel for the same reasons you're not going to travel. The only, so the only people that will travel are, are schools that just need checks, right? So you write an $85,000 check and, and you can get Monmouth to come play you. But you're in, um, and none of the big-time schools, um, really power five schools, I, I, you know, they're not going – most of them, the overwhelming majority aren't going to be on the road uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week. They'll get out for the weekend, but they're, they're going to stay home. But it's a larger, to, a larger issue to me is it, it sort of highlights, and this is a little bit off subject, but it's something I was thinking about earlier. Um, everybody understands the one and done thing is an issue for college basketball. Not in the sense that um, it's bad to have Ben Simmons in college. I, I don't subscribe to that at all. Like some people are like, these kids are only in school for four. I don't care. Like Ben Simmons in college is better than, Ben Simmons not in college. I, I you know, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, from college basketball viewership, 
Uh, but the roster turnover is just – there is no other sport in America where the stars change so regularly. Like every year we've got new stars. Every year. Like in the NBA, you have the same stars for a decade. You know, in, in, in the NFL, even in college football, you get, you get J- Jameis Winston – I don't want to say coming out of nowhere because he's like a number one recruit, five-star recruit. But like you get Jameis Winston Heisman Trophy season and then you get – another year of Jameis Winston. Like, you would never get that in college basketball. If Jameis Winston comes out of nowhere in college basketball, he's gone. Like, you know, he's he turning pro right then. So the roster turnover in college basketball, I think, is, a, is, is among the biggest issues, if not the biggest issue, in terms of attracting people to the sport. But another issue that I don't think gets talked about enough, the games mostly suck for the, <laughs> for the great teams. Like, the great teams are – half your schedule is against – I mean, like, even Kentucky right now, they play 10 games. Set, they've been a 20-point favorite in seven of their 10 games. Like, why, like I, I always wonder, like, why people would be season ticket holders in college basketball. Like, even in the NBA, I, I, my numbers are going to be a little off, but roughly half your games are going to be against playoff teams. You know, like, yeah. it, it, you get quality games on the regular. In college basketball, if you are a good team, mo- half your games are going to be, you're going to be overwhelming favorites in them. And that, like, that's, that's kind of lame, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's always existed. I mean, oh, I know. Well, I mean, I just think I wish Division One was like much smaller. Like, I don't. Oh, need... I, yeah. Listen, that's 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 a whole different right. podcast for another time. I have long believed you get Division One down to a hundred and sixty teams. I think college basketball is better on the whole. I mean, it, all issues would not be fixed. Um, and, and maybe you'd create some other ones, but yes, uh, I have long believed division one is way, way, way too big. Um, and, but that, yeah, that's just a completely whole other camera. Sam, is that, is that, is that a, do I have a point or am I overstating it? I just like, if I were a Kentucky season ticket holder outside of going to Rupp and big blue nation and all that, I'd be like, why are we going to watch our team win by 25 again? Like really, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to look at like seven of the 10 so far, they have been, 20 at least a 20 point favorite and um i'm, I'm just going through ken palm here now even in the league it looks like at home they're going to be double digit favorites over d- damn near everybody you know like <laughs> um not vanderbilt it doesn't look like but I, I just like if you play 35 games in a, if you're one of the top 10 teams in the country about half yeah. your games are total mismatch mismatches in, co- in college basketball yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely a major problem um, as far as rectifying it. I mean, it, I think it's more on the conferences like the SEC to really get after you as far as scheduling better teams than it is to maybe reduce Division One. I. I mean, I, I, I haven't thought enough about reducing Division One to really have any sort of, you know, high level thoughts on it. But I think that a better way to do it would just be to, you know, really get after the conferences, the SEC, the Big Ten, and, you know, like they are in football right now. Tell them that they have to schedule more difficult opponents. Uh, You have to have like a like a minimum level of strength of schedule or something like that. I'm like, with you. It's, it's not going to happen though, because it's a matter of inventory. Whereas in football, you only have basically three non-conference games a year. And right. so they, they can kind of dictate that. Listen, you can't schedule 
three complete joke programs. You have to go out and play another power conference team. Uh, in basketball, you have more games, you have more opportunities. You play in these November exempt tournaments, which inherently also include major conference programs. And then generally speaking, the conferences are scheduling against other major conference teams. It's just not going to be right, something and that's that where I, I, guess I don't think that they can ever do it personally because they already are, generally speaking, uh, a top 25 team in college basketball before it gets to conference play. While it still will play too many bad teams, it's still playing at least, on average, three to five legitimate opponents, location depending. So you guys are right. I just don't think it's a fixable problem. Well, that, no, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure it's fixable that. because yeah. a lot of this is like it's money driven, right? Like there are certain schools. Um, I mean, I, I'll speak about Memphis because I understand the the way that athletic department works. They rely. It's changing a little bit because the football program is now like it's not a money maker, but it is. Uh, it's better than it, it used to be. It used because it used to be maybe the worst in Division One, um, but like. Even if Josh Pastor wanted to go out and schedule aggressively, he has to have, I don't know what the number is, 13, 11, whatever it is, so many home games because it's an extra game in a season ticket package and, and they're not doing it anymore, which is a, another conversation altogether. But for a long time, they were selling 16,000, 17,000 season tickets. Like that was real money. So if, if the, if the um, options were go play a quality team on a neutral court or go play a quality team on their court or you just have to have another buy game because you can pay somebody $60,000 but sell 17,000 tickets to that game for for financial purposes. In in the spirit of supporting the soccer programs, um, you got to play that bad game. You have to play this bad basketball game simply because it allows us to fill this building up mm-hmm. one more time. And so like, that's something that's not unique to Memphis. Like that goes on like Kentucky, like North Carolina, the, the one of the reasons Gonzaga can free itself up to go play a, a tougher non-link schedule than most people is that they only have 6,000 seats at the kennel. They're not leaving as much money on the table as say uh, Kentucky or North Carolina or Memphis or anybody with a big, big arena. So um, it's a complex issue that I agree. I don't know that it's fixable, but I wish it were fixable because it, uh, you know, far too often, you know, I'm the guy that has to look at the top 25 teams every time they play. And far too often, they're just, like yesterday, we had Maryland playing and um, uh, I don't even remember who. I Did Iowa State play? Villanova play? It's all just Iowa bad. State did play, yeah. yeah just all that. bad games. It was like they all won by 25. Like it's just sort of, I don't know, it's just lame when you look up and I think if you're a good team, you play way too many total mismatches of games. Yeah, I mean, Arizona tried to go out and schedule someone decent, and they played Missouri, uh, and that didn't work. Out <laughs> yeah, no, they died. They, yeah, they lost by like thirty or something. Poor Missouri. I don't know. That, I don't know that that thing's going to get fixed, huh? Yeah, uh, yeah I probably not. Bad. I, I feel bad for uh, that that staff and that fan base. Yeah, because like that's a good basketball school. Like historically speaking, that's a good basketball school. Arguably the best program never to make a Final Four. I think I have that right off the top of my head. Right, and yet uh, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a mess right now. But we can talk about that another day. Let's uh, uh, let's get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. So do that, please. And uh, I will talk to you again a little later on this week. Till then, take care.